Well, good morning. Um, what an incredible honor it is to be with you and uh, to be here in this chapel. I hold you in high esteem. Um, and we're talking about prayer, which is fantastic. You know, Jay Leno once said he would do anything for the perfect body except diet or exercise. <laughs> and I feel like we might have a similar approach when it comes to prayer. You know, we'll do anything for the kingdom of God uh, except pray. Uh, prayer is a struggle in so many ways. And I, I was actually remembering uh, just a few days ago, I, I paid tribute on my social media, uh, in my social media life to a woman who mentored me, uh, General Eva Burroughs. She's the world leader of the Salvation Army for many years. Remarkable uh, female leader, incredible leader in general. And literally in general. And, um, <laughs> and she, I mean, she really just incredible, multiple languages and just served her whole life around the world, just invested in sort of this global um, advancement of the kingdom and also photographic memory. So, I mean, could remember, literally remember everything she ever read. And uh, I would go to her house. I had the uh, joy of being mentored by her and really being uh, befriended by her in many regards. And uh, out of all the things I learned from her, which were many things, I mean, I just still am uh, learning from her life, an example. But of, of, of all the things she taught me, the thing I remember the most is being at her house for lunch for a little meeting that we were having, a mentorship meeting, and she just kind of sat me down and walked me through her prayer routine that she did every morning. Isn't that amazing? I was thinking about this as I was thinking about this chapel. Out of all the things she taught me about leadership and like memory, I mean, she used to make me do memory skills because my memory's not so hot. And, uh, and uh, anyway, and so out of all the things, the thing I remembered the most is how she prayed. This is amazing, the power of prayer to unlock inside of us this glorious unlimited resources of God. So what I wanted to do this morning is kind of walk you through, if it's okay, if it's not too indulgent, a, a way that I've learned to pray and a way that I've been praying every day for several years now. It's part of a, a way of life I'm practicing, an open order, a sort of like uh, maybe a, a new means of a, a Wesleyan um, <laughs> class system uh, uh, response uh, in a new world. But sort of a posture prayer, I kind of call it a realignment, a daily realignment of my life to the life of Jesus so that I might follow Jesus. And um, I, I, several years ago, I was in a movie, I was watching a movie, the movie Hercules with Dwayne Johnson, uh, The Rock, and uh, with my husband. I don't know which one of us were thinking Dwayne Johnson looked better, me or my husband. Uh, but anyway, if there was a God man, you know, Dwayne Johnson might just be it. And the idea of the movie, the premise is that, of course, Hercules is a He's just created this mythical idea that he's kind of of the gods in, in this desperate attempt to ascend uh, from uh, human normality. And he puts this myth up basically to get paid. He's a mercenary. And uh, he has a secret team. This is how he does this. So he goes into a battle that no man could do alone. And he has a secret team that enters, you know, in the backstage or stage left or whatever. And they defeat this thing. And the secret team leaves backstage. And then out emerges, you know, Hercules with his red cape flying and his sword rays. And ta-da, it's Hercules. You guys, you understand this because most senior pastors follow this model. <laughs> <laughs> right? And there is just, there's a, a scene in the movie, uh, it just woke you up. Okay. So there's, 
there's a scene in the movie where Hercules is in the front line of the... Now, this uh, scenario, by the way, is working for everybody. It's working for the secret team because they're all getting paid. It's working for Hercules because he's getting paid. It's working for the armies that hire him because, of course, they're, like, winning. It's striking fear in the enemy. Like, it's kind of this working system. And there's this a point in the movie where Hercules is in the front line of the battle and he's fighting and an enemy actually just kind of wounds his shoulder, just cuts his shoulder a little bit. And his uh, secret captain of his secret team sees it happening from across the battle. So he like goes all the way through the front line of the battle on his horse to get to Hercules. He gets off of his horse. He goes over to Hercules. He takes Hercules' red cape. He covers his shoulder and he whispers in his ear, never let them see you bleed. Never let them see you bleed. And it was at that point in the movie that I had an encounter with God. The movie just kind of went blank for me and I saw a picture of Jesus crucified bleeding everywhere. And I felt like the Holy Spirit was asking me what kind of a leader, what kind of a person, what kind of a disciple I wanted to be. Would I like to be Hercules or would I like to be Jesus? It struck me on that day that there really wasn't a way of being both. It also struck me on that day that the inclinations of my heart and the inclinations of culture, uh, external culture and church culture, were directing me all the time into the way of Hercules. And that if I was going to live like Jesus, if I was going to decide on a daily basis to follow Jesus, to be like Jesus, I would have to fight against a dominant culture outside and also inside the church. And so this kind of uh, invitation by God to be like Jesus, not just in my ideals or in my thoughts, but to be like Jesus in my daily practice, this kind of initiated a, a way of life called infinitum, and a practice that I've been practicing, and it includes a daily prayer, and that's what I really want to talk to you about. I call it posture prayer. The first posture is the posture of surrender, and this is, of course, a basic uh, Jesus posture, and it's actually what I call the power posture of the kingdom of God. It's one of my favorite um, uh, demonstrations of this is from Mark's gospel, chapter one, where Jesus gets baptized by John the Baptist. And I feel like uh, Jesus, contrary to Hercules, who's trying, you know, is on a, a, a track of ascension, trying to get to the gods. Jesus, of course, is on a track of dissension. I feel like if he had a motto, Jesus' motto statement might have been, how low can I go? Because he keeps descending. We think that the dissension is just a human form. But then when Mark's gospel tells the story of him going to get baptized by John the Baptist into a baptism of repentance, which is bizarre. Even John the Baptist is like, what's going on? Because you actually haven't done anything wrong. There's nothing for you to repent of. Jesus goes lower still, not just to human form, but also to the human condition. And he goes into the baptism, and we know that when this happens, he comes out of the baptism, this sort of beautiful cosmic slow-mo movie moment where the heavens are open, the scripture says, and the dove descends, and the voice of the Father says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, you know, and and there's this Trinitarian blessing that happens. But, But what's really fascinating in Mark's gospel specifically is when it says the heavens were open, the word open there means ripped open. When I read it, I kind of picture like, you know, God as uh, the Hulk. <laughs> you know, that, that idea of, you remember the Hulk just was like, and like his clothes would like rip open. I have this image of surrender is the power posture of the kingdom of God. 
which is so contrary to this sort of Herculean ascension, that surrender, that dissension, the, the willingness to surrender your will and your life over to the purposes of God. This is Jesus' first surrender, isn't it, to his ministry. From there, he, he goes and, and does uh, his earthly ministry. The last surrender, the final surrender of Christ is on the cross, of course, which at the end of Mark's gospel is the other time that same word is used, the only other time, where he's on the cross and he's crucified and he says it is finished. He's completely surrendered again. How low can you go? You can go to the human condition, then you can go, you can go to human form, then you can go to the human condition, and then you can go right into the midst of human sin and suffering and shame and pain he can go lower still and there he is completely surrendered to the will of God absolutely total surrender and he says it is finished and when he says those words you remember something else ripped open you remember something else ripped open. surrender is a posture of Christ it's a power posture that rips open heaven on earth it unleashes the kingdom of God in the world surrender is a posture that I try to practice because it's the way Jesus lived a posture of surrender is one of the postures that I try to assume, to practice, to do. Like visiting a chiropractor when I'm out of alignment. I find that surrender is a chiropractic posture I can practice that puts me in the alignment of the way of Christ. This is in direct fight against this constant pull of my culture to this decision to not be Hercules. Uh, here's the second posture. It's generosity. Uh, generosity is the second posture. Now, I grew up in the Salvation Army as a uh, Salvation Army officer for 22 years, so I know all about giving. You know, it's like it's kind of like our thing. We do it whether we feel like it or you do it when you don't feel like it. You just like you should just give more, and that's actually the answer to everything. You should just give more all the time. You should give, 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 give. I, I, and I had this experience. You know, I was. Uh, uh, I had to be at this uh, leader's retreat. It was in the middle of nowhere in northern Canada, and it was, a, it was a, well, you had to, I had to be there. I didn't want to be there. And I had been speaking a fair bit in America, so I had been growing in this idea that I might be actually a little bit important uh, and super busy. You know, my, my ego was raging on the inside of me, and, uh, and I was stuck going to this thing. So I, I, I went there. I flew in directly from this thing I was at. I cut it short, and I had to go. And I, was, I remember pulling my uh, suitcase across this gravel parking lot in the middle of nowhere, British Columbia, and tired and hungry and feeling really self-important. And I got to the registration desk and I said, I'm here. <laughs> and uh, they said, uh, oh, I, we didn't know you were coming, so we forgot to save you a room, you know. And I was like, the nerve, you know, I knew I shouldn't have come, these people. And, uh, and then they said, well, actually, there is one more room left, but it doesn't have a door, so that should be okay, right? And I'm like, yeah, that'll be fine. That's what I said on the outside, because, of course, I'm a Christian leader, um, <laughs> But what I said on the inside is a whole other, whole other thing. Uh, I used all my Christian F words. Do you know those ones? That's Pharisee, right? That's, fair, that's a, the best Christian F word. It's the only swearing we're allowed to do to call each other Pharisees, right? And then if we're really mad at each other, we can call each other like mother of a Pharisee. You know, just get really... And uh, so that was all my in, internal conversation. And so I thought, you know what I'll do? I'll just go for a jog and I'll shake this off. This is obviously, I've got an attitude problem. I'm jet lagged, whatever. I'm going to just shake this off and come back. I was running back uh, across the lawn of this camp. And, uh, and then I saw all of the leaders had met for dinner, you know, were having dinner, which nobody told me about. And again, I'm just like raging on the inside. These people, you know, just so undeserving of my time. And... Um, 
you know, just basic humility practices. <laughs> and, uh, and the leader came, came running out and said, oh, Danielle, thank God it's you. I thought to myself, finally, you know, somebody recognizes my incredible importance. And, uh, and then she said, you, we were just talking. There's a homeless couple that's stranded just in the next town. And we were just talking over dinner about who, who could possibly go to help them. And your name came up. And, uh, and then we saw you running across the field. So we thought, perfect timing, you know. So uh, she gave me the credit card and said, would you go sort this couple out? And of course, on the outside, what came out was it would just be an honor. <laughs> well, you know, my internal conversation dialed right up, you know, just... Pharisees and mothers and sons of Pharisees and like, you know, am I the last Salvation Army officer who cares about the poor? You know, just like all of these. Uh, anyway, so then I, I get in my car and the whole way to this homeless couple, I'm just like, and I didn't even tell me about dinner and I don't have a door in my room. And had to carry my own suitcase, you know, just all those really uh, slights coming up again. And I, I pull over to this homeless couple and I say, guys, you know, just hop in. What do you need? They said, actually, we're hungry. I'm like, get in line, you know. And, um, and they said, we need a bus ticket out of this town. And I was like, me too, you know, just, I'm like, we have so much in common right now, you know. Anyway, we go to this grocery store, which I mentioned is in northern Canada, in the middle of nowhere, which is, just means it's exorbitantly expensive. And I remember walking into this grocery store. You remember you're supposed to listen to your mom's advice. This is never shop when you're hungry, right? There's just like a principle. And uh, this was not happening to me. I was really hungry and so were they. We walked into the store and I remember the first thing I smelled, the first thing we all smelled was the smell of strawberries. I mean, it was like, they, oh, it was heavenly. We walked in the store, we were just like, do you smell it? We were like, we smell it. And then we just followed the smell to the strawberry, uh, the strawberry section. And we could see the sign, it was just like strawberries, you know, one for $10. It was like, <laughs> like something crazy. And I remember all of us just going like, oh, we can't afford the strawberries. And that's when I remembered. I had the credit card for the Salvation Army in my back pocket. I mean, literally in that exchange, I had forgotten, but she had given me the credit card for the office. I was like, oh, guys, I got some good news. They're like, what? I'm like, we can afford the strawberries. Like, let's go get the strawberries. So we started getting the strawberries and we went to the bread section. We didn't just get like Wonder Bread. We got like almond encrusted bread, <laughs> olive infused. You know, I'm just like, let's just not get, you know, the no brand cereal. Let's get something good. You know what I mean? Like, and so Captain Crunch it was and on and on you know just we just we were having fun and we're eating and everything began to change we check out I get them to the bus station I'm like we want two of the best tickets you possibly have for this bus you know and anyway I, I load them all on the bus and they say I say to these is there anything else I can do you know I've had such a great afternoon thanks for the great time they said yeah us too we just wondered if maybe you could pray for us I said oh yeah shoot I forgot that's like ministry 101, right? Like, I know this. I'm not new. I said, what can I pray for you about? Like, what do you need prayer for? And they said, we would like what you have. I said, well, you cannot have the credit card. <laughs> like, I'm literally keeping that for as long as I possibly can. Uh, you can't have it. But, but they said, no, no, not the credit card. We want whatever this was. What was this? We just, this fun, this joy, this, this sharing, this like, this experience. Like, what was this? We want this. And I was like, oh, yeah, that. That's Jesus. 
that's grace, that's love, that's mercy. Like that's, this is all the things I love about Jesus. You want Jesus there? Yeah, like, yeah, okay, we'll take Jesus. So anyway, I, I led them in a prayer that they might decide to follow Jesus and kind of encounter a life that was a little bit more uh, Zoe than the one that they were living. And then I was driving back to this camp and I remember just going like, doo-doo-doo on the steering wheel. Like, what an awesome day. Like, what a great life I live. Like, isn't this amazing? And I felt, again, the Holy Spirit say to me, Danielle, what's changed? I said, what are you talking about what's changed? Like, this is my life. It's what I signed up for. I love this. Like, this is just, this is just a good day. And God said to me, yeah, but I was here on the drive there. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, that. And God, God said, what changed? Like, what changed that scenario? And what I realized is what changed that scenario was when I realized I had a resource that was larger than myself. When I realized I could tap and see, I was out. I was all the way out of so many things. I had come to the end of my own resources. And as soon as I realized that there was a resource beyond me, now that's just in the natural, but I felt like God said to me, generosity of spirit, generosity, a posture of generosity is reciprocal. I mean, Jesus made this so simple to the disciples. He said this when he sent the disciples out. This is what he said, freely you receive. Now freely give. Freely you receive. Or the scripture that we just read. I pray that out of his glorious unlimited resources. What? I pray that out of his glorious unlimited resources. He might strengthen you in your inner spirit with power. He might empower you. He might actually let you dial in to the inexhaustible unlimited resources of heaven. In other words, we all have a credit card. All of us. A credit card of heaven with inexhaustible resources like love, extravagant, reckless, unlimited love, with grace, with, he says to us intentionally, mercy, which he tops up, by the way, and pays off every single day. It's new every morning. I mean, if you lack forgiveness in your life, and I started paying attention to this principle in my life. Whenever I came into lack, when I lacked forgiveness for someone who had wronged me, I would go to the credit card of heaven and say, God, please forgive me. Forgive me for my debts and my transit. Whenever I would lack love and I began to get stingy in areas of kindness, I would go to the God who has a, a, a kindness through his being. And I would say, remind me, let me receive your kindness again. Let me receive your mercy again. Let me receive your patience again. When I lack wisdom and don't know what to do, I say, God, please give me your wisdom. Freely you receive, now freely give. What I realized that was so beautiful to realize is that generosity was not just something I gave, it was also something I received. It's reciprocal. The posture of generosity, the way of Christ. Doesn't this explain Jesus, when he sees needy people, he just like lights up and runs towards them. And you're like, what's wrong with that guy? Because when I see needy people, I usually like break eye contact and look busy, right? This is going to be too much. Like this is going to take too much. Have you tapped into the inexhaustible resources, the unlimited resources of God's mighty love? And the third posture that I try to practice every day and I align myself at the beginning of every day, which I'm, I'm going to lead you through the prayer that I use, is a posture of mission or an others-focused life. Um, this is a, a beautiful, beautiful posture. And again, so countercultural in our lives. 
Uh, for me, uh, I remember when I was about 19, 20 years old, I went as a volunteer with the Salvation Army to Russia to reestablish the work after the Soviet uh, Union collapsed. And uh, we were there setting up the Salvation Army again, afresh, after 70 years of being, uh, uh, being blocked. And we got this phone call in the, in, the, in the office saying, you know, hello, thanks for coming, but actually the Salvation Army is alive and well in Russia. <laughs> and we were like, what? And there was a guy at the other end of the phone. His name was Vladimir Mikhailovich. He was 88 years old. And he said, I've been leading the Salvation Army all these years, uh, usually from prison. But uh, it's alive and well. If you just want to come, bring us like, I don't know, a flag and a drum and a uniform, we'll be good. You know, just um, the essentials, you know. So the office looked around to see if they could spare anybody. And I was the easiest one to spare. So they sent me with a translator down to the Black Sea of Yalta to meet with this Vladimir Mikhailovich guy where he lived and his wife, Anna, and to kind of check him out. Like, is he legit or is he crazy? You know, like, is this, is this real? And I, I encountered this incredible man. I mean, literally, incre he really did have a, a church every day. They were doing, I, he had a brass band. I'm not even making this up. Uh, he had a brass band that would do open airs on the streets of Yalta every day, every, every day after work they would meet and try to get people saved on the streets I mean this guy was just like full on and he would tell a story after story after story every night epic stories like just one story really quickly he's uh, in prison when he was 17 years old 16 he gets saved uh, the Stalin comes to power kicks all the missionaries out he's in an open-air meeting playing the trumpet and he gets imprisoned for his faith at 17 he's in prison in a secret prison in Moscow and he's in a cell block of 60 men. He's the only Christian. He's only 17. He's been busy learning to play the trumpet instead of reading his Bible. He's petrified, so he doesn't really know the Bible. He says, he starts crying out to God, like, if I'm going to live this Christian life in this setting, I'm going to need the Bible. Like, please help me. Like, send me a Bible. He started writing notes every night. Please send me a Bible. Vladimir Mikhailovich with the cell number. And he would, he would, he would put the note into a piece of bread when it was wet. And in the when he was out in the, working in the field, he would, when no one was looking, he would toss it over in the hopes that, I don't know, a bird eats the bread but leaves the note and somebody finds the note. I mean, he does this night after night after night. And uh, the, the, the murderer that's kind of the head cell block guy, the guy in charge of the cell, is so irritated. He's an atheist. He's like, there's no God. This is such a waste of bread. This is such a waste of time. You are such a loser. Like, and he's just getting more and more physically aggressive against Vladimir. Vladimir said he was pretty much thinking that was where he was going to die. Uh, one day, uh, he said this, this got into a rough walk. She was actually in the process of getting uh, beaten up when the guard came to the door with a package. Now, in the Soviet system at the time, uh, their uh, quality security was that every package that arrived in the prison, to ensure there was no weapon in it, they would just cut it in four pieces. It's very effective, but a little awkward if you get a sweater. You know what I mean? So every package just arrived in four pieces. And so this package came to Vladimir Mikhailovich, and it, he said it was a fish wrapped in sort of newspaper, and it was in four pieces. And he said as soon as the, the cell door clanged shut, he was so nervous because of the altercation that he was currently in that he just dropped the fish. You know, it, it fell out of his hands, and it, it hit the floor, and the four pieces of the fish opened up to reveal a whole untouched Bible on the inside. The cell, uh, the member that was beating him up, he just fell to his knees, Vladimir said, just began to weep. There is a God, there is a God, there is a God. And at 17 years old, before he even got to reading the Bible, Vladimir led 60 men to Jesus in that prison cell that day. 
Now that, that I mean, is incredible. And so that's literally one story. I, I don't have time to tell you the whole story, all the stories I heard over that week, but needless to say, my 19-year-old mind was blown. I was like, I want to live like Vladimir Mikhailovich. Like, send me to the gulag in Jesus' name. Like, what, you know, just... <laughs> I want to do it, you know, like this, I want to live. And then the thing I was most excited about is when we were on the train back to Moscow, my translator, who was not a Christian, I wanted to kind of just get to that real quick. And so I said to her, I said to her, Anna, you know, out of all the things, like the, the week we've spent with Vladimir Mikhailovich, you know, what is the thing that impacted you the most? Like, what are you most impacted by? Like, out of all the things we heard and experienced this week, <laughs> And Anna says to me, you know, Danielle, it's going to be difficult for you to understand. I said, well, look, try me. She said to me, the thing that most impacted me about Vladimir Mikhailovich was the way he loved his wife. I said, were you even listening? Like, I mean, did you hear the story? Like, was I alone there? Like, did you hear this? Like, 70 men in a, a secret prison in Moscow at 17 years old? Like, I think he's the guy that got Solzhenitsyn saved, by the way, because he sewed the Bible into his clothes. And later on, if you read Solzhenitsyn's conversion experience, it was with a crazy man in a gulag prison who had the Bible sewn into his clothes. Anyway, I, I'm like, what? Like, this guy lives such an epic life. And she said, I know, but in my experience, in my life, I have never never seen a man treat a woman with such respect, with such dignity, with such grace, with such intimacy, with such love. She said, if that's what Jesus looks like, and if that's what Jesus can do in a relationship, if that's what Jesus invites me into, I'm in. I'm in. And I am so thankful for that day because this is what I realized. See, my, and even still, I think we do this. Our ideas of mission are all so big and Herculean. They're all so like, send me to the gulag. Like, I'm off to Africa. Like, let me be, you know, the next John Wesley. You know, like, I, they're all outward focused. And when I say an others focused life, I don't just mean to the nations, although that's great too. But I also mean to your own relationships to the others right beside you to the neighbor to the friend to the spouse how's your relationship with your wife to your kids to your schools to the communities to the people that walk by you to international students to how is that relationship because mission as an others focused life is is not just big and glorious although the, you know hopefully there will be those moments in our lives for sure I'm still believing for mighty works of God but mighty works of God are also manifest in daily acts of kindness and love and obedience and trust graciousness in our everyday others focused relationships and how's that going for you you see so it, it's really important for me to resist this herculean impulse in a culture dominated by ascension to posture myself in another way to say i choose the jesus way today and this is what prayer is for me is a choice of a jesus posture an alignment, a realignment to set my life in such a way that I might be like Jesus today. So I pray this daily prayer, and I, I wanted to invite you to pray it with me. It's a little indulgent, I know, but I saved it for now so we could do it together. I'm going to invite you to repeat after me if you want. Um, 
and, and just, I go from a confession because I find that it's helpful for me to just acknowledge my natural human inclination uh, towards ascension. And then to declare my intention, my choice, my deliberate alignment into the way of Christ uh, for today in the hopes that I might manifest his presence in my daily life. Uh, so I invite you to stand, if you will. And uh, each of these prayers has literally a posture to them. I use my body. It's partly because my mind gets very easily distracted and cluttered. I find it really helpful to center this in my body. So first I hold my hands up in fists like this. And I make this confession. I confess. My natural human posture is to fight for myself to try to make something happen. But I choose, as a disciple of Jesus, a posture of surrender. My life is not my own. Jesus, take control of me today. And then I, I hold my hands out in front of me and I say, I confess, I confess. My, natural human posture my natural human posture is to take, it's to, take. It's to, keep. It's to keep, it's to hold on. But I choose, as a disciple of Jesus, a posture of generosity. I open my hands and my life. And freely, I receive. And freely I receive. And just take a couple minutes right now to receive what you need from the unlimited resources of heaven for today. And then I say, everything that I've received, I will look for where to give it out today. And the final posture is I, I fold my hands and I, I say, I confess, I confess. My, natural my natural human posture is to spectate. It's to, spectate. It's to, critique. It's to critique. It's to stand at a distance. To, distance. to say, it's not my problem. But I choose. As a disciple of Jesus, to open my life in a posture of mission. I say to the lost, say to the last, I say to the least, I say to those far away and those closest to me. Here I am. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.